Tonight we continue our study of the last book of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation 12, we saw that there had been a war throughout history between Satan and the God's people. Tonight in Revelation 13, we meet two more of the fighters, the beast and the false prophet. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and the throne. And great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty, and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been on has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of all people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both great and small, small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but everybody is super angry and fearful um, about an, up, um, like an impending political situation that's about to happen in America. I don't know if you're familiar with that's happening. Um, everybody's angry or afraid. I, in the, literal, literally in the past week, I have spoken to two people that are voting for the different of the major party political candidates, presidential candidates. So they're voting, they're voting for the opposite people, right? And they both expressed to me that if the other person that they aren't supporting wins and becomes president, that we probably don't have much time left um, as, a, as a nation, um, which is kind of like disappointing. I'm like, I guess I just need to go buy like gold bullion or gold coins and build my you know fallout shelter now because no matter who gets to be president it's it's over i even had a person tell me that if one of the people gets elected that there probably won't be many more elections um 
because we're probably coming to the end of the American democratic process. Um, why so much anger and fear is the question before us tonight. And we've been studying the book of Revelation, and we've seen that what the book of Revelation does is what the name means. Revelation, it reveals things to us. Namely, it reveals the world as it is. Revelation comes to us, and God says through Revelation, the things you see um, are an illusion. They're not the way things are. And Revelation comes to show us how the world really works. Uh, How many of you have ever been on the Haunted Mansion? Yeah. Somebody's really excited about Haunted Mansion? Okay. It's also my favorite Disney World ride, so... um, now murmuring through the room. The Haunted Mansion, it's at Walt Disney World. It's a resort. Okay. Um, if you've ridden the Haunted Mansion, why when you walk into the Haunted Mansion, you walk into a circular room, and you don't realize it, but it's an elevator because it's Disney magic. And in, in the circular room are portraits on the wall, but as the elevator goes down, which you don't even feel that it's happening, it's amazing, magical, um, these portraits begin to get longer, right? So there's one portrait of like a very distinguished looking man, and there's one portrait of like a woman, like having a fancy lady with like a parasol, right? And as the pictures begin to get longer and you see what's underneath them, the fancy distinguished man is standing on a pile of dynamite. Ooh. And the fancy lady with the parasol is standing on a tightrope over like a big crocodile with its mouth open, right? As it goes down, it reveals sinister, spooky things underneath the surface. And interestingly, what John, the writer of Revelation, wants to show us tonight in this passage is that the reason why there's a lot of anger and fear out there about any number of things is because there is a sinister reality or a dark force, if you will, that is just beneath the surface of the things that we can see. That all the events that are happening in the world, there is a dark force working in them, and our hearts get wrapped up in that a little bit. And that dark force John calls the beast. Okay? If you've been coming and you have any idea of Revelation, this is the part you were waiting for when someone explains to you what 666 and the number of the beast means. So we're going to get on that. By the way, I saw a great shirt and it said 667, the neighbor of the beast. And I thought that was very witty. So, um, If you like me, you'll give me that shirt. Okay. So what I want to do is look at what is this beast and how does this beast affect us? Okay, so what, what is the beast? Look, if you have a handout, you want to look there or on your whatever you're looking on. Uh, verse 2, John says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. It's like a, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And before that, he says it has ten horns on its head. Now, that sounds really weird to us. You're like, okay, this is very strange imagery. But if you were a Jewish person living at the time of John, this would have felt very familiar to you because this is a famous image from the Old Testament book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, the prophet Daniel has these visions and he has a vision of four beasts. One, wouldn't you know it, looks like a leopard. One looks like a bear and one looks like a lion and one has ten horns on its head. And what Daniel goes on to show is that these four beasts are four empires, there are four nation, powerful nation states, so like uh, Babylon, Greece, Rome, right? These ancient um, empires. And so when John comes to us and he gives us this vision, it's one beast that's like all four of those beasts put together. And so what, what does that mean for us? What is he trying to tell, tell us by saying this is a combination of these beasts? 
what John's trying to show us is this, is that this beast is the earthly empires of the world. Um, Socio-political powers, uh, nations or cultures that have a lot of power in the world and are hostile to God and his people or dismissive to God and and his people. So basically what the beast is, what the beast represents to us, is all the best strength and power that the world can muster against God. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Um, power structures in the world. And when people read Revelation, there's a tendency to want to go, okay, I'm reading about this beast, and then I look in the newspaper and I figure out who the beast is, right? I want to make this one-to-one correlation of this beast. And, and for 2,000 years since this book was written thereabout. There have been dozens and dozens of people. The people said, this is the beast. And then the person goes on, and they aren't the end of the world, right? And what John is trying to show us is that kind of misses the point. Because the beast is really all worldly power that's against God. It might show up at any given time as a person, or as a nation, or as a power structure, as a civilization, as a corporation, whatever. But it is our best strength and power in the world that's against God. Um, but that's not all. The beast is an enemy of God, but it's in disguise. So um, I today purchased, I was with Abby Nichols, and I purchased a pair of my favorite sunglasses, which are from Claire's, of course. And um, they sell $3 fake Ray-Bans. And let me tell you, they look like the real thing, my friends. Um, <laughs> they're $3, and they're great. Because the, if you had a four, you know, like, how much do Ray-Bans cost? Like 100 bucks, something like that? <laughs> Jonathan? Roughly like 120. Like 120-ish. <laughs> right. Not that I know or have been pricing them during this talk. Um, and they're $3 and they're great. Um, but like those glasses, the beast is, is in disguise. It is a counterfeit of something real. Um, look, Satan, who is a real person, by the way, you came to Argus and I'm telling you, Satan is a real person. He really hates God and he's at war with God. He knows that human beings were made to worship God. Okay, that's how God made us. And so what he does is he makes a counterfeit of God so that we will worship the counterfeit. Okay, uh, the dragon, as we saw last or two weeks ago, is like God the Father. The beast in this is like God the Son, the Lord Jesus. And the false prophet, who we'll see next week, is like the Holy Spirit. He's like a it's like an unholy trinity. That this. This beast is a counterfeit Jesus. And I'm going to show you why. Mitch Hedberg, do you guys like Mitch Hedberg? Because people still like him. He's a comedian. He died. Uh, he, he has this great bit about Mr. Pibb. Because you know, Mr. Pibb, he says Mr. Pibb is, a, is, a, is an imitation Dr. Pepper. But it's a BS imitation because dude didn't even get his degree. Um, right? The beast is a counterfeit Jesus, but he's not the same thing. Look, at, look in the passage again. Um, it says that he has crowns on his head. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, Jesus has crowns on his head. It says he has blasphemous names written on its heads. Later on in the book of Revelation, Jesus has names, faithful and true on him. He has names written on his thigh, these beautiful names. And most importantly, um, in verse 3, this beast has a mortal wound on its head. On one of its heads, it seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled. It looked like he was going to die from this blow, but he didn't. Which is obviously a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus, who actually was killed. His wound was really a mortal wound, and he was resurrected. 
So the beast is the best strength and power that the world can muster without God. And he's made to look to our hearts like he's Jesus. Does that make sense so far? Thanks for bearing with me as I've been a little bit teachy here. And he goes out and he blasphemes God. He makes war against God's people. So that could be a socio-political, like military force. Um, or it could be like a civilization that says, hey, there is no God. Okay, which is maybe more familiar to us. And I'll look at that more next week. But tonight what I want to look at is how does John talk about how we respond to this beast? Because this, this affects us tonight. Look in verse 4. And they, uh, the end of verse 3, And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? This is a, a very common way in the Bible that they talk about God. People talk about God. Who is like the Lord? Who can do anything against the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Um, they are worshipping the beast. Worshipping is just giving yourself, so your body, your mind... Uh, your, your soul, your money, your time, your sexuality, your emotions. It's giving all those things to something so that it can fulfill you. Does that make sense? Giving yourself to something, seeking fulfillment from that thing. Um, that that thing that you give yourself to will be enough for you. Everybody worships. Okay? My one-year-old daughter worships last night when we were at a friend's house and she had a popsicle that was very red and their carpet was very white. And she was running around with her dripping popsicle everywhere. And I removed the popsicle, which was almost done anyway from her hand. And she literally burned down the relationship with her father over this popsicle. (laughs) Because the popsicle was enough for her. And I've taken away the source of her fulfillment. Um, Everybody worships because we're all giving ourselves to something saying, this will be enough for me. My career will be enough for me. My boyfriend or girlfriend will be enough for me. My relationship with my parents will be enough for me. My looks will be enough for me. So they worship, but why do people worship the beast? This is, this is a question for us tonight. Um, I owe a lot to a dude named Brian Habig, who's a pastor that's helped me understand Revelation. I'm stealing a lot of this stuff from him tonight. But he commented and said this, whenever something can meet our needs, we will worship it. Okay? Let me say it again. Whenever something can meet your needs, you will worship it. Um, we will willingly go to the power structures in the world because we are attracted to power. Because power can do things for us. It can give us competency or make us feel like we're, we're good enough. Power can give us stability in our lives. It can give us safety. It can give us food and drink. And the things that the, the powers of the world can give us look just enough like God to pass the test. Frank Underwood in uh, House of Cards understands this because Frank Underwood says money is the McMansion in Sarasota that falls apart in 10 years. Power is the old stone building that stands for centuries, right? What we get from power feels very stable to us. You know this, if you've ascended into a friend group that you thought maybe that you would never be cool enough for, and then once you ascend into that power and status structure, you feel, in a sense, unassailable. We put a lot of stock into the power of status and control because we think it'll be stable. Uh, What's really disturbing to think about is if you think about, like, Nazi Germany, and you think, okay, so there's, like, clearly bad people running the show, But you think, like, there's millions of people that lived in Germany that were, like, regular, normal German people. And 
none of, very few of them were making much of a fuss about what was going on in Germany. And the reason probably why is even as the, as the country continued to get worse and worse and Hitler was literally exterminating millions of people, is that right before the war, Germany was in a really bad depression. And there wasn't enough food to eat. It was a very unstable situation for Germany. And when Hitler rose to power, he stabilized Germany. There was suddenly plenty of food to eat and jobs to have, and there was, um, there was stability and flourishing once again in Germany. And to speak out against that would, in a sense, ruin your sense of stability. Even when worldly power is ugly, we still tend to, to uh, trust it and give ourselves to it because we think that it will be stable for us. We worship power, we worship the beast, because we want to be stable. Now, how? And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time on, basically. How do we worship the beast? I'm coming to you telling you tonight that there is a dark force at work throughout the world, and the, the likelihood is that you are worshiping it tonight. So that's a bit of a uh, big bite to chew off, um, but I, I think we can see it together. Um, now, it's obvious when people worship the beast in politics, right? It's obvious when someone is staking all of their, like, pushing in all their chips, putting all their hopes and dreams, that, like, this person, if they come into power, they're going to fix everything. We probably all know some people like that. Some of you guys probably are that person. And I think it's fair that Jesus is telling us, hey, you should have a healthy suspicion of like political institutions, like don't put your trust in them. I think that feels probably pretty obvious to us, no matter where you're coming from tonight. That like Chance says, don't believe in kings, believe in the kingdom, right? Um, Chance is a beautiful man. Um, but I think if we're honest... We'll see that you can worship the beast by putting all your hopes and dreams in the ballot box, but you can also worship the beast by putting all of your hopes and dreams into the J. Crew catalog. Um, because you open up the J. Crew catalog, and what is presented to you is beauty, stability. There's a sense that you are successful and beautiful, but carefree. You still travel. You don't need to wear shoes all the time. Um, you can have a beautiful family where everyone seems very well behaved. And everyone is constantly moving up in the world. If you just buy these chinos, $69.99. Um, I don't even know what... Chinos are pants, right? Chinos are pants? Probably. Okay, let's go with them being pants. Um, the subtle tactics of the beast are the most deadly. Because when you boil it down, what the beast is, is human autonomy. The idea that myself or other people can give me everything that I need and make me stable and safe and secure in life. That's the real power of the beast, that everything you need, you can get from yourself or from another human being. Um, and the way you discover it is by looking at where fear and anger are. Think about it politically. Um, the progressive perspective and the conservative perspective both have very good and godly insights into the world and how they work. We're going to talk about that more next week. Jesus affirms both conservative and progressive values, and critiques them both. Um, but I can't be conservative fully or progressive fully because both conservatives and progressives worship human autonomy. And you can tell by how they get angry. If you get someone worked up, they'll say, you can't tell me what to do with my body. Or you can't tell me what to do with my sex. And for another group of people, they'll say, you can't tell me what to do with my money. You can't tell me what to do with my guns. You can't tell me what to do with my land, right? When you push them, there's a pushback that you can't tell me what to do. I'm the master of my own destiny. I can get everything I need f 
from myself and from others around me. Both are afraid of losing control, both progressives and conservatives, no matter how they talk. They're both afraid of losing control because they think for things to go well, my team has to win. Uh, there, was a, there was a rally in Asheville, I guess it was last month, for one of the major party presidential candidates. And uh, it, was this, it was an assembly of supposedly two ideologically opposed groups, right? One group was there to hear the candidate, the other group was there to protest, right? But lo and behold, it broke out into multiple dozens even of fights. And even more, maybe innumerable numbers of people yelling at each other. And it was initiated from both sides. So you have these two supposedly opposite ideological groups, both coming to the same point where they say, when I feel threatened, I'm going to use force and power and control and dehumanize. I'm literally going to fight you. Um, They're no longer people, but beasts, right? Imaging what they worship because they both believe in human autonomy. Um, and so my question for you is, uh, what are you angry about tonight here in RUF on a Wednesday night? Um, what are you angry about? Are you angry because you feel left out? Because you feel like you're on the outside? Um, are you angry because your friend feels left out and they won't like stop annoying you about how left out they feel? That you keep going out with those other people you met in the hall and not your roommate anymore? Um, Are you angry because someone is telling you what to do and you don't feel like you have full control of your situation? Um, Or maybe ask it like this. What's your first instinct when someone does something to you that you don't like? Uh, What's the first thing that you do? Is it to make sure that they know and your friends know exactly how wrong they are before you can like move on with your life? Um, is someone threatening your autonomy, threatening the sense that you are in control and you are enough? And, and so that, what are you angry about? Well, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid that you're going to hate your future job and you picked the wrong major? I was a fine art photo major. As I've said many times, you're going to be fine. Um, are you afraid of marrying the wrong person um, and that your life will be miserable because you chose poorly? Um, are you, basically, are you afraid of being out of control of your future? Um, who are you jealous of? Uh, who are you afraid that you won't be like? When you feel insecure with your friends, do you manipulate the situation so that they can begin reaffirming you as quickly as possible? Are you afraid of being out of control of what your friends think about you? Basically, what I'm asking is, Are you living like you or another person can be enough for you? Can make you stable and secure? And if so, sounds weird, but you might be worshiping the beast. And could that be why you feel incomplete? Um, Because you're trying to draw resources from something that can't give it to you. There's a reason why you feel incomplete, and this is when we're going to talk about 666, okay? At the very end of the passage, John says that the beast has a number. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For its number is the number of a man, and his number is 666. People have tried to understand what this number means, because in Hebrew, all the, all the letters have a number that corresponds to them. And so like, you know, like A is 1, B is 2, that's not really what it is, because there's not an A and B in Hebrew. 
Um, but you could take all the letters in someone's name and add them up and get a number. And it's an awkward number of people throughout history, you could make their name add up to 666. But here's what I think is significant about the number. There's two things we've learned in Revelation. One is that the number seven means completeness or fullness. Okay, This is all throughout the Bible, but especially in Revelation. Seven means fullness. And one less than seven would mean a lack of fullness or incompleteness, right? That you're almost there, but you're not complete. And anytime something is said three times in the Bible, it's for strong emphasis. So when the angels are all around God, they say, you are holy, holy, holy. That means you are utterly and completely holy. So when John says the number of the beast is 666, that means that he is utterly and completely incomplete. Um, that he is, if Jesus, if Jesus is the one who is and who was and who is to come, then the beast is the one who wasn't, who is not, and who is not to come. So, if we live like we can meet all our own needs without any relation to God or dependence on God, we find ourselves to be completely incomplete. That we have a lack of completeness within us. Uh, James writes about this in James chapter 3 and 4. Listen, listen to what James says about how we act. James says, uh, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false of the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Um, If you have selfish ambition and jealousy. Then he goes on to say, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says this, when you are focused on getting what you need to make it at all expenses, you become like an animal. You begin to look like a beast. And you feel utterly incomplete. The beast has limited power. God is in control of the beast. He uses his power to destroy and dehumanize. We have limited power. And we use it to preserve our status and our stability, right? And here's where I want to land, because I I, I go through all this with you so that when we look at Jesus, he will look different to us. Because this is what makes Jesus very different and more beautiful than anything that we're used to, is because Jesus is a perfectly stable and happy person. He exists in a beautiful love relationship from all eternity with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. They are perfectly whole and complete and happy. Yet he leaves it willingly. And he allows himself to be delivered into the hands of sinful people. He has infinite power. Okay? He can do anything that he wants. He has infinite ability and status. He is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Yet on the night before he's crucified, Jesus is with 12 scraggly people, all of whom are going to leave him. And he takes off his outer clothes And he takes a towel and he he ties it around his waist. And he takes out a a basin of water and he comes and he gets down on his knees. And he begins to wash the disgusting feet of the people that he knows are about to leave him in just a manner of hours. Because Jesus says, look, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Listen to what Andy Crouch says about this. The Messiah wrapped in a servant's grimy towel is not giving up power. He is restoring power to its original purpose. 
cleansed of its distortions, the power to love a lovely and loveless world to the uttermost. None of his power is reserved for carefully guarding privilege or meticulously accounting for status. Every bit of his power is poured out to this one end, love. And the next day, after his friends betray him, and he receives the ultimate political injustice for being put to death for a crime that he didn't commit, Jesus goes to the cross and he doesn't receive a wound that he just gets better from. He receives a true mortal wound and he truly dies and he falls to the ground. And just when Satan thinks that the way of the beast has won, that power and force and destruction can get rid of this Jesus, Jesus rises from the dead so that he can give new life to beasts like you and like me. And so he can give it to you at no cost. That is what Jesus' power looks like for you. God himself on his knees cleaning your feet. And God himself struck, uh, strapped naked to a cross, dying to give you new life. And if you're angry because you can't squeeze all of your needs out of yourself and others, come to Jesus, who the lamb who was slain, and find rest in the one who allowed himself to be poured out for you. And are you afraid because you don't have control? Get used to it, friends. Um, you're not in control. But if you're afraid because you don't have control, come worship the one who not only is in control, but who has a book of life that he's written your name in before the foundation of the world. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you that you have laid down your power and you've used actually your power um, to bless us and to give us new life. Um, Lord, forgive us for how we try to seek stability outside of you. Lord, would you help us not to believe in kings, but but to believe in the kingdom? Um, and to find rest for our souls from our anger and from our fear in you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. It's the end of the world as we know it.